Ain't That Swell's True Grit Tour is brought to you by Billabong Wetsuits with graphene technology. Superior warmth, flexibility and durability and comfy as. Ain't That Swell live icons Mark Ocalupo, Joel Parkinson, Creed McTaggart and Seth Moniz all rock the graphene tech and you should too this winter. Today's episode is brought to you by Better Beer Zero Carb. This award-winning zero-carb beer got sixth in the hottest 100 Aussie craft beers and a bronze at the 2022 Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show. It's an absolute stonker. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and only 87 calories per can. Uh, This award-winning crisp and mighty refreshing beer is simply made of the good stuff. The creme de la creme. Water, malt, hops, and yeast. The zero carb is 4.2% alcohol. Enjoy responsibly. And now, get your skank on, Swellians. The big dance is about to begin. Please welcome to the stage the dons of degeneracy, the Illuminati of the surfing literati, the award-winning Altered State Warriors, Smitty and Vaughn Rinscon Deadly! I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back. Drop down. Say bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, surf looks good on it. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back. Get a haircut. Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys. Welcome to the Cronulla Rissole on this, the Night of Nights, as we commemorate the achievements of the creme de la creme of core, the merchant of grit, the lord of long-winded hidings to nothing, Blake, the voodoo shaman, the techno viking, Johnston. Johnston. Let's give it up for Blake again. Give Johnston. it up for Blake mad. Are you kidding me? Oh, what a night, Vaughn. What a night. It is. Blakey, uh, I mean, what can we say about the man? An absolute grit merchant par excellence. And, uh, I mean... This is a celebration, man, as Rick James put it, I believe, this is a celebration, bitches. And we're going to celebrate long and hard into the night. I will be your host for this evening, the two-time Gold Cone Piece Award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin, the maestro of micro-dosing. Smithy! Smithy, everyone! Thank you. 
And Very I'm joined good. here, as always, give it up, give it up for the Smitty. I'm joined here, as always, with my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine, and Waves magazine, Vaughn Rinsed Corn, Deadly. Thank give it up you, for Vaughn. Good to be here, mate. Back in the Shire. Feels good. Sharky's got up last night, so everyone's in a good mood. That feels good. Very good. Very good, Vaughn. Uh, yes, this is a celebration of Blake, but uh, also a celebration of grit, Vaughn. It is. Grit. 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 Grit! Grit! Uh, you know, grit, it's one of our favourite four-letter words up there with uh, piss, fart, cock, fuck, cunt, jizz, uh, kook, barn, woke, <laughs> joke, grit. Grit. Grit, Vaughn. Grit. Grit! Grit! Grit. What it does is. grit mean to you? It's a good question, Smitty. What does grit mean to me? I think about it. What's true grit? If you're wrapped in cotton wool from the age of six, have you got true grit? If you're loaded with coin, given stickers and shit, have you got true grit? True grit. It's dirt in your crack, sweat on your sack when you're breaking your back. It's diesel and dust and doing what you must to get fair up at. True grit is the shit that you get when you're not scared to put in the yard for it. Come on, Blake Jono, you made it the truest grit. You took the head off the longest surf record with a gallon head high hit. You backbite the whole shire, you got concrete in your guts. You're a true blue Aussie battler with true grit in your nuts. Blake Johnson, come on up. Get up here, mate. Let's go up. Give it up for the Jono, the voodoo shaman, the icon, the shaman himself. This is where we get sophisticated, Blake. The glasses are on. Grab a seat. Round of applause for Blake Johnson. This is the reason why we're here. Holy smokes. Mate, we're going to really, really go deep tonight. And I want to start off by going right back to the early, early days. Your, your, uh, your initiation into Shire life and your lineage here doesn't get more pure core than uh, your old man. You know, he, he grew up here, born and bred, uh, was inspired by the late, great Bobby Brown, who at one stage was, you know, considered Australia's best surfer, if not in the world. And uh, at one stage, there's also a state champ, mate. So... Tell us about your old man. Like, what was his? Uh, what, what's your knowledge of his surfing journey? Well, we didn't get much out of him. He was pretty humble and quiet. We kind of learned everything about how well he surfed and who he hung out with through other people. Just telling stories of how good he good he surfed and the trips they went on down the south coast. So I've got a good connection with the south coast thanks to him and the stories that we heard about trips he had. And um, yeah, just he was yeah just. We looked up to him so much, not just because he was a dad, but because he could surf. And I mean, 25 years ago, not many of the dads surf. So, yeah, he was, 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 was amazing. A, a state champ from the Shire, it's a big deal. Uh, and, you know, did you have any sense of that when you were grown, that he had that history? Nah, no, nah, just not at all. I knew he could surf and I just wanted to hang out with him. He was such a legend. And, like, I'm one of five boys and we just wanted to spend time with him as well because he worked so hard, worked so many hours, and any time we got with him was... was so valuable to every single one of us. So. That's so cool, man. Your mum, Sandy, is in the room tonight. Yeah, Sandy. Big round of applause. Uh, also, 
Born and bred local girl, grew up in Miranda, just over the back there. Yeah, she grew up in Miranda. I don't think she's ever left Miranda Fair, but yeah, she's what? <laughs> she's still there every single day. Why would you? <laughs> Bargains are unbelievable over there. Um, but mate, you know they got together young and five boys. What the fuck? What was going on over at the Johnston House? <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> oh, I don't know how we could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, true love, mate. True love. Um, mate, uh, you're in the middle. Boy yeah. number three. Uh, what are your earliest memories of, of days at the beach with the family and, and your brothers in particular? I just remember being about eight or nine and my two little brothers were already as tall as me. So I was kind of outnumbered in that sense. And the two older brothers were off surfing and just having a hell time. And I wanted to be a lot like them, but it was, it was full on. And we, Dad was a builder, so we moved around a lot of the Shire. And, and we just... Um, yeah, it was a hectic life. We just luckily had the beach to escape to with Dad not being there. Once we're old enough, we're allowed to go to the beach and just surf our brains out. And that was kind of what we were all drawn to, you know, following one another. And just, a, you know, it was obviously a lot of fun times, but um, it, was, it, was hectic. it was epic. I can't fold it. I still love this place as much as ever. So. Yeah, mate. mate, your dad was the local core lord. Who were the other icons, though, from the area that kind of raised you and mentored you through surfing and in life in general? Yeah, there's there's so many to name, but there's a few core cool ones like um, like Dog Marsh. who's played a big big role when I was younger. Um, the late Andrew Murphy um, had a big impact on me. Um, looked after me and was one of the first persons to believe, see me as an 11 year old and sort of take me around Australia and the world and just was a great guy. And um, some guys that are still here, you know, there's, there's Fletcher Haler, there's Glenn Pringle, there's Cameron Johnson, there's bunch of guys that are just awesome. Give, give a clap for all those guys. They're, they're the biggest legends ever. And they're still here. You know, there's a lot of people have moved away and there's, there's still some people who have been core part of the community for decades and, and they deserve all the respect they get and they're all lucky enough to call them mates and, and they surf really good and they love the area and they're, they're great husbands, fathers and whatever they do there. So stoked to have them as part of my life still. Mate, uh... You were saying that your dad did like a 10-year stretch of working seven days a week and your mum was really like the linchpin, making sure that you guys had the, everything you needed. It's the core of the family, made sure you just had happy, happy childhoods. Um, what sort of values did that instill in you as a young guy? Did you know, could you feel it going in and did you sort of, were you able to translate that into your own life when you became a parent? Yeah, look, I grew up with the two most selfless parents ever. I just, just they gave everything to us for a better life for us and everything and we never went on extravagant holidays or, you know, barely went on any of them, but we, we wouldn't change our, our same, we wouldn't change our childhood for anything, you know, just... On you, Sandy. You know? Thank you. Uh, and it would have been easy. There was days, yeah. like, we didn't care. We didn't bake beans on toast some Sundays afternoon because the money had run out and Dad was still working and, you know, we weren't struggles at all, but we, you know, I'm sure it was very hard raising five ferals and Dad working seven days a week for ten years of his life. That's hard to comprehend, really, when that's exactly what it was you know at least mate once you sort of uh start to find your love for surfing um you obviously start to find your own crew as well uh who were in those initial sort of i guess those little clutch groups that you had when you first started to fall in love with surfing on your own terms yes yeah, so that was a pretty cool little core pack there wasn't as many grommies as there are today like it was wasn't rare, but it was just there wasn't that many frothers at 10, 11, 12 years old. But so we connected pretty early on, nine, 10 years old. But it was uh, Todd Mingram, slippery surfer, he's here. Um, Kirk Flinoff, Scott Todd, Mark Wigley, my cousin Joel Bonning, 
and that, that were the guys we sort of started surfing with and grew with. And what kind of a culture was it? I mean, the waves around here are unbelievable. Pound for pound, stacks up against any coastline in the world. Uh, you know, at, at what age are you graduating to surf these slabs and is there pressure on you to fucking to, to pack one at, uh, you know, Vui or, or the island? It's kind of a way of life around here without it being you noted know, to, to sort of earn your way to be in the lineup and have enough respect to get bombs at Vui or now Cape Salander or the island. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's something that you do have to earn. You know, you can't just paddle out there and do it. It's not heavy localised, but you just have, if you have that respect, you get the waves you want and you've got to put your time in there. You know, even the young guys that charge it there, they've been out there since they're 12 years old, like Jordi Taransky and a lot of those younger guys now. They've, um, they've put their time in, even if they are seven eight waves, they've been out there for five years, you know, exposed to the slabs and it's a lot, they're world-class heavy waves too, so it's the real deal and um, mate, they're world-class surfers doing it. Why don't we get one of uh, Blake's childhood buddies and sparring partners up as well to talk about this sort of introduction to slabs because he went on to do some pretty impressive shit in that surf. Kirky Flinoff, come on up, brother. Yeah. So classic. I remember uh, when I was editing Waves magazine way back in the day, Smithy, uh, Blake and Kirk were just these tiny little whippets. I mean, Kirky looked... Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. But, uh, yeah. Kirky kind of looked like a drop box of matches and uh, Blake just looked like a, the tip of your pinky. And they were just out there just frothing. Is it true, mate, that you, you had to get caught, like you'd go to comps with Murph... And he'd have to call you in from free surfing to go and surf your heat, and then you'd come straight in and go free surfing again. Yeah, there's been multiple people tell me that I've I surfed more than anyone they've ever seen from the age of about ten to sixteen. Mm. I think Flint's would have been up there with me, but um, yeah, we de I definitely was just just love it and always have. Kirky, welcome, mate. Such a pleasure to have Thanks, you here. Thanks, boys. Thanks, boys. Um, Fucking nice, Captain Kirk, the yes. king of the cone of mortal coneiquins. <laughs> How good! Yeah. One of the greats. Mate, I Thanks, swear, uh, if the world tour was held in left rip bowls and slabs, you'd have more world titles than the goat, <laughs> mate. Uh, yeah, it's all about the goofy. Fuck those naturals. Mate, tell us about your first memory of meeting this guy, if you can, if you can remember, and if you can't, just just what life was like for you two as Groms. I can remember it very well, actually. Is um, it's going to be a weird little <laughs> description of, of of what I know of Plague is like. He's a fucking weird-looking dude, so I imagine... Yeah, he no, is, but... The origin like, story was suitably weird. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I looked up to him. I was like, I, like, I want to be like what... I want to be this guy. You know what I mean? That's what it was like. I was, it would have been like 13, 14, 15. I even remember distinctively he had this photo in this Japanese magazine. I was like, I want to be in the fucking Japanese magazine. You know what I mean? I was like, my dream... I remember when I was like 16 or 17, is I wanted a Mitsubishi Mirage and I wanted a, f a sponsor from FCS so I could have, tell people I was like, okay, I could have G3s, G5s, G... <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but it, just the whole thing with Blake is like, yeah, we battled back and forth and... You know, he, he, he we, ha we hated each other for a few years. That's what that's what I'm about to say. It, it's this weirdest relationship. You know, have you ever? It's like it, It's almost like your girlfriend. Have you ever? You, you'd be like, we never kissed, but yeah, no, I never, never kissed. But yeah, you, what kind <laughs> of Japanese magazine was this? Uh, 
It's like it's almost lunch shit. You're gonna be like, you know, be like, I I love you, babe, but I fucking hate you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking, but but that's what it was like. And 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 growing up with Blake, he he pretty much started my obsession with surfing. To be honest with you, like he kind of gave me the guidance. I I was like, he he was the best. He was he. I don't know if you, is I haven't even been listening to be honest what you guys have been talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, 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 back when we were younger, he 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 was like the tracks cadet cup and that no like there was no one better than Blake. So like when I grew up around Cronulla, I was like that's the person that I want to be like, and then that's when the rivalry started, and then we had our up and up ups and downs of like liking each other, hating each other. Liking each other, pretty much hating each other. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because, like, when you guys were Groms, like, Cronulla and this area, the Shire was just overflowing with talent. Like, you got masters of several different sort of core disciplines from slab wranglers at Vui and the Reef and the island, like Terrapai, uh, Jezza, Oxenspeg, Brownie, Boogs, Lloydie, Frank, you know, trailblazers, like, absolute trailblazers of slab surfing in this country. Like, before that, you had the lids who are unsung, but starting to get a bit of time in the time in the sun now. But um, then on top of that, you had like Wienert, you know, fully ahead of his time, full and full rotors on on rip bowls and and doing surfing that was just so crazy. And then you also had like just icons of the area, Pringle, Cam Johnson, as you said. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck. You had so much to draw from and you guys really did tap into sort of different things because you, you, as much as uh, Blake was the guy you wanted to be like, Kirky, you went really hard at the air, air show series. Yeah, it was just like, I know, it was just like something that from watching, when I was growing up, I was like watching like Tim Curran and people probably wouldn't even remember that guy's name right now, but like, it, there's just like, that's the, I was like, you know, obsessed with that style of surfing and to be honest with you, I, like, I was terrified of big waves. Like, I never even thought about doing big waves or anything like that when like, I was growing up trying to make the tour and stuff like that. And now, looking back, like, yeah, like you said, all those people coming from Cronulla, like, even like, there's someone you didn't mention, like Gary Green, like, it's just like the, even this fucking head right here who's sitting in front of me, Jared Hickle, like the, Jay Brown, like, I, I, I can seriously... The funniest thing is, though, do you know what? I can only name Goofy Footers. <laughs> well, that's pretty classic Goof, mate. <laughs> it's like, Don't worry about it. It's like... It's so weird, but would you not admit, like, you, look at the... Look at the all the people from Cronulla that are Goofy Footers. Like, it's like... Can you ever beat Oki? Like... I, I, I don't feel like anyone can disagree with that. And then there's like Dog, Greeny, like Andy King. It just like the list just goes on and on and on. And then, yeah, so like when we were growing up with me, like with me and Blake, it's just like, and Slippery Surfer, wherever he is in here right now. Mark Wigley. There's so many of us, but like yeah. we were just always trying to aspire to be like those older guys and... That's, that's like what we wanted to be. Mate, you're putting the heat on everyone else, but let's be real. I mean, you were almost like five to, to ten years ahead of your time. I felt like you had the, the air reverse on lock at a time when no one in the world really had that move as locked down as you did, and you, you used it to great effect. It took you all the way 
to the World Tour. Uh, I mean, yeah, just talk to us about fucking nailing that manoeuvre at that time. It was, it was kind of like futuristic at that time. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe I'm a little bit salty on that the, that whole side of the thing. But like at, at the end of the day, do you know what I think is? It's like it's just the it's just the whole thing with surfing is that it it always changes. You can be ahead of the time, below the time. But at the end of the day, is like if you're in the water and surfing and fucking loving it, the, that's all that matters. You know what I mean? And 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 at the end of the day, this is the best thing about surfing is like. You could think you're fucking ripping, and then you see yourself in videotaping and be like, "Fuck, I'm terrible." <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But the the feeling of make that that of always thinking that like you're ripping is that's the drive that I, like I always try to inspire people to feel because it's like literally you can you can have depression or you can have all these aspects, and this is the thing that I think Blake's touched on with the the charity that he's chosen is that. Oh, and I feel like it's, it's just not with surfing, it's just with the ocean. Is like always try to tell people it's like literally you can, you can feel like shit and you can literally jump in that ocean and jump out and you feel so good. But back to your point, yeah, fuck those cunts that fucking. Yeah, they ripped you off. It was a rip off. What a disgrace. No grit. Okay, hey, well, hey, where's Perry Hatchet? Is he here? Yeah, fucking man, you watch out, Hatchet, you don't, <laughs> gay. Hope I, you get the I reckon, that, um, I reckon that both Luke Weiner and Flynn Off were haven't ever really got the credit for what they did. You know, Cronulla wasn't as exposed as the Northern Beaches. There was a lot going on over oh, there at those times. Typical industry fucking Some hogs, editors mates, were just favouring people. Not me, mate. Not me. No, but, Luke, um, Luke Wiener yeah. was before anyone, wherever he is. And, and Flint's... Yeah. Flint's was a pioneer, total pioneer. I, um, it's, it's a good point that you make, though, Flint's. Like, uh, you know, when... If you love something, uh, you know, it, it comes easily. But I guess you make it onto the world tour... And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the waves particularly suited you. Like, we know now that you've, you're fucking one of the, the, the best heavy water specialists on the planet, bar none, uh, whilst also having a family and being a fucking full-on blue-collar chippy. Like, I mean, how, how hard was it to, to be away on tour at the peak of your powers and, and be missing out on so many opportunities to be surfing the waves, like, straight out the front of your home? Uh yeah, for for me it was a bit different. Like I always was, like always felt like I was the best at the air game, and that, like you said, that like back in the day, no one ever scored that. Like I even believe like people fucking would have discussions to be like, look, he's doing two air air reverses on one wave. You're giving him a nine. Like you should not give him that. It should be a seven. But in hindsight, like I, like at the end of the day, like I I I I don't care. You know, I mean, like, you know, I fucking do care. Actually, fuck, I fucking, I fucking do care. No, but I, I'm just like, you know what? Like, it is what it is. You can't change the past, and you can't change what's happened. All I can, all I can do is predict like what's going to happen from the way I put my energy out there from now on. And like, to be honest, with you, like, I, I just like love surfing. That's 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 all I care about. It's like I, I, I want all of you people in here. I don't give you, f- fuck. If you're <laughs> that bad that you are terrified and surfing in a in a two foot wave, but what I would want from you is fuck, pulling in a ten foot wave out, Vui, and that, that that's what surfing is about, bro. You 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 you, yeah, you it gives you so much, and it, it's the best sport in the world. That's what I believe. Man, it, it's crazy. Like I actually, yeah. 
give it up, give it up for Kurt. It's crazy because I actually didn't know that you had that in you, you know, to send it on those slabs. I knew you was the punk guy when I was a grown. I watched yet the air shows. I watched you make the world tour. And then it's only really not the last five or so years that I've, I've seen, uh, you know, just the, the metal and the skill you've got uh, in these waves out the front here, which, you know, like I said, stand up to any waves on the planet. And, you know, you, you look at your Instagram and you look at the guys chipping in on the comment thread and it's the fucking... It's the top surfers on the planet. It's like Jamie O'Brien, it's Mark Healy, it's Dylan Longbottom, you know, saying that you're paddling waves that are uh, as skillful and technical and heavy as, as any ever done in history, and, and you're doing it while holding down a job and raising a, a family. Has anyone got three kids? It, it'll, it'll fucking drive you to fucking doing that. Sick of Vegemite Tesla! I'm just like, if there's something that puts me out of my misery, <laughs> like, let it be. No, but like, the best thing about Cronulla, and like, I hope everyone feels this about being there, and this is the, the thing that I love about our community is that Cronulla is such a special place, like, and, and it has all these, it, it, it really does have all these aspects of producing a world best surfer. Like, if you look at Jarvis, like, Jarvis is, like, what can't Jarvis do? Like, honestly. <laughs> yeah, applause. Like, world it, junior it, champ. It, Give it up it, for the world it, junior champ. Are you world kidding junior me? champ, you know? And he's it, it, just a freak. And then, you know, then you got Vui and Cape Slander. You have all these things that you can prove yourself on. And that's just the beauty of, like, where we live. And I hope it produces, I hope Jarvis is, Future world champ. Who was the? F- I got to get a. I got to get an in the water story from you guys. Like, who was the first person to take you out at these heavy water spots on a day when you didn't feel like you were ready for it? Because Oki has this famous story of walking over to Vui and seeing one person out there and just seeing him get absolutely drained. And it was Jim Banks, and he paddled out, copped the two wave hold down, went home crying, and told Mum, "I'm going to give up surfing." Like, who was the first person? Did, did anyone put you under their wing or did they just sort of like, just paddle out after me? Like, take us through your scariest day out there when you were a Grom. Yeah, I, I remember... A- the, any of the slabs. I remember the first time I saw Vui, Ox McKinley took me out there. But um, Jeremy Herbach, another local, absolute lord, lives on the Goldie now, but he's, um, he's pretty iconic. He's the mystery man. He's surfed in the dark by himself at night, did crazy shit. But he was um, so respectable, everyone... All the core lords here would know exactly what, what I'm talking about. But, um, um, and Terrapai Richmond out the island, he was pretty well known, got about 10 covers out there. But there's, there's a bunch of those guys that were, um, they're not super big personalities or anything, but they just love surfing. And, you know, they weren't making your time hard out there like, like other people can. They were encouraging. And, like, like I said, there wasn't many grommies back then, but for us to paddle out there, that was weird. I, I charged when I was about 14 when Flint was 14, didn't like, love two no, foot waves. I, 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 he had a full switch. He was. I was, was like, fuck, the swell's like six foot. I'm like, fuck, I feel sick as shit. He's done a full U turn. He's done a full U turn. He's doing 5,000 wheelies a day and then he goes back to 5,000 foot pits. He's done a full U turn. Did you ever feel like it was out of your your league though, Blake? Did you have a session where you're like, too much? I can't do that. I looked up to these guys. So I was, um, I've never had a big amount of fear. Like, I, I, I just wanted to. I've chased my brothers since I was seven years old, trying to paddle out with them and get flogged out there with my dad. So I was. It's just natural to sort of, you know, I wanted them to be proud of me and that I earned my spot out there. So hopefully the younger Groms feel like that with me and Flint's now too when we're out there. So, 
and Flint's man, talk to us about the Cape. Like you, you're one of the best to have ever done it out there. You know, when did your relationship with that wave start, and yeah, how did it progress over the years? It's a, it's a weird thing. It's like a, it's a hate, love relationship. It's like I try to tell people sometimes. It's like oh. You see a big swell coming and then, well, I'm 41. I might not look at it if anyone knows. Where's Damo? He gave me a fucking fresh haircut. What brand of zinc are you using, mate? You're looking amazing, eh? Uh, if you look closer, there's greys everywhere, greys everywhere. But um, I was, I, it's a weird thing. It's like I never was accustomed to, like, charging and being a big wave surfer but as I've got older it's like something that I feel like I've got comfortable with and it's a it's, it's such a weird thing like sometimes your head just goes crazy like I've heard Greg, Greg Long speak about it sometimes he turns up on a wave he chases the wave around the whole world and he turns up and he used to be like nah, today I'm like I'm not gonna do it um, but obviously being so close to this wave and um, you know all, all credit to the bodyboarders who surfed this wave before us, all the surfers and stuff, and that, like, the, these, these bodyboarders were kind of like... I reckon the big shout-out to them. It's part of what all the surfers around here do. We owe it to the bodyboarders for how dedicated they are to it and how hard they go. hundred percent. Andrew Lester and all... The, I, I could name so many names that were going big waves. But that the, the whole wave is just, like... It, 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 it will literally make you feel that your life's on the line and then, you know, it, it, you either have the balls to go or don't go. But the best thing about that thing, it doesn't matter how old you get, is that you're always challenged, you know? It, it, and it's the weirdest thing. I always see football and soccer and all these other sports is like, once you retire, you retire, you know what I mean? And you're done. The thing with surfing is that... it. it it, it never ends. Like, you're always like, you know, like, if, if you don't go, you're a fucking pussy. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you look at your guys' careers, you could easily say that, I don't know, you had this sort of time of being professional surfers. You were on the Elite Tour. You were a pro junior who excelled uh, and got to travel as a free surfing pro as well. But it's everything you've achieved after the meet of the industry sort of turned its back and you guys just went surfing. That's where the fucking real magic has been happening for you guys in your careers. And uh, I think we could pretty much invite our next, next guest up on the back of that because his career has gone absolutely ballistic after his 39 years on the qualifying series. Uh, let's get him up here because right now he is one of the elite surf coaches in the world. Glenn Micro Hall, come on up, brother. Yeah, bro. Micro! There should be another mic. And just a little PSA. I uh, just got told if everyone on the right-hand side of the room could shut the fuck up, please. Uh, that would be great. So, Micro. Uh, mate. Now, I believe your nan had a, a home in Hurstville. So you were coming down here a lot and you met these guys when you were just a, a little grom as well. Yeah, I randomly spent a lot of time in Cronulla and Hurstville and Miranda Fair with Blake's mum. It's, um, yeah, I, I actually worked in... It didn't in, sound quite right, but we know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I worked in Surf Dove and Ski in Miranda Fair for a while and lived at Hurstville with my grandma and granddad and 
used Cronulla as my local surf spot and hung out with Blakey and Flints and Todd Mingram and, and the whole crew. So, yeah, I kind of... Driving in today, it was like random. I, I swear I haven't been here that long to feel like I'm a local, but I genuinely feel like, you know, I know enough people here and I, I love coming back. Your, your mum grew up was grew up here or close to here? Um, yeah, Cogra or... Sorry, Dad. I, it's like in that area somewhere but um yeah like this is where they wanted us to be and like my mum used to come here with her brother when he was surfing when they were groms and yeah so it's um ironically it's yeah, it's pretty close to home can you tell us a little bit about sort of blake's aura when he was a micro grom because like he was on the radar super young he won the tracks cadet cup and then the following year he had a heat against a really good friend of all you guys ace buck and and I reckon to this day, it's one of the most ferocious heats I've ever seen surf. They just went out there like a couple of French bulldogs trying to fight over a tennis ball. It was just like, just going absolutely skit. And it was full on, man. You guys really went at it. So how hard did you have to fight to beat this guy when you were little? Yeah, Blakey was like the, the freakish little kind of 10-year-old, 12-year-old that was like this gigantic head that would just... His momentum could make his board turn more than any of us could. So he, um, yeah, he was unbelievable though. Like he had, he was, you know, an earmarked as a as the, the kid. And then watching, um, you know, an all down line, and you know, and to us, Tom Carroll and Danny Wills were like, you know, an absolute royalty. And then seeing Blake sitting there with him, we we're like, what the fuck? Like that's not real. Like. And he was our mate, but like like Flint said, there's a little element of you like, fuck, I want to be there. Like that's that was unbelievable. And he, Blake as a surfer though was like, like you said, his hours in the water, you know, and that was that was no joke. He surfed rip bowls like almost as long as he surfed here the other night. It was crazy. And when I'd come and stay and surf, I couldn't keep up. It was like the amount of hours he did chasing rip bowls and surfing, and then. When he got into a heat, it was like it was like he just tapped into a mode that was just you know he'd ride 150 waves in a 20 minute heat and he didn't know what one was the best one but he just win and it was like it was impressive and it was like just I swear he won on froth. Yeah, yeah, mate. What was it like for you to be uh, you know on that Quicksilver team like you said growing up watching surf movies? You you got Tom Carroll, you got Danny Wills, you got Mick Campbell. And then all of a sudden, you, you're going away with those guys. You're going to Hawaii. You're staying with Ross Clark Jones. I mean, that's fucking a pretty heavy eye-opener for uh, a little Grom hanging out with those guys. Eye-opener, nose-opener. Yeah, lots of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, look, I've, I've been pretty grounded from a young age, having two older brothers. They're, I love them more than anything, but they, were, they could be real dicks to me when I was young. So I was kept pretty grounded for, from a young age in that sense. You know, Dad was a humble man, and that was, you know, how you carried yourself, and... I think that, that helped me a lot with not getting my head too big. I'm sure I was a smart ass and cocky at times, but I was definitely, you know, always trying to earn it because my two older legend brothers. Mate, you guys uh, both ended up graduating to the WQS. Talk to us about those years. Like, what was it like? Any classic war stories from those times? We, we had some really good times. We travelled a, a lot back then. We used, used, I think you used to do, like, Flint's, even you, like... 20 or 3 events a year or something like that. So Yeah, it was crazy. Like, was we, we were just like, yeah, you'd be like... And Flint, you were doing them from like 15. Yeah. You were already doing them. He, like, was, he was smart, man. He was doing airs before anyone, doing the QS and surfing 500s before anyone. And he's, he was always thinking ahead. You know, he had that 
he had a growth mindset for 25 years ago with surfing and that's why he's chasing slabs and king of that now because he's worked hard at everything he's done but had that foresight whereas I was just sort of protecting what I had I wanted to make my I wanted to make even back then Cronulla proud I wanted to make my mum and dad I wanted to give my brother Ben a phone call and say I got through another heat I'm, you know in Europe I got through another, that's what I was doing it I was doing it externally in that sense and I wasn't thinking about where I wanted to be personally emotionally in five ten years time I was sort of Flint and you know me and Flint's had a conversation down the caravan park he had a we had a caravan park down the coast yeah, and we Jerem, had, had a pretty deep combo one night and um yeah, we'd sort of come to a conclusion, asked, we're real honest with ourselves and just said, well, Blakey, why didn't you, why do you think you didn't make it? And I said, I oh, know, you tell me. And he goes, you just were trying to protect what you had, you know. You yeah. did so well, so young, and you had all this pressure on you, and you'd, you know, like I said, I've had to fix mine, whereas Flint's and, and these guys had a more growth mindset. And, and they were chasing like, me, and then they had the idea, learned from that and kept yeah, growing. Yeah, and so. I feel like Micro would know that more than anyone, like being a coach now, is like, it, it's all about the mindset, like, it, everyone's has a pension to be on the on the world tour, but like if your head's not right, your head's not right. You know what I mean? And but and the, the funny thing is, is like life changes and look like what Blake's just done now. It's just like it's never too late. You know what I mean? It might be too late to do certain things at, at the highest levels of, at, at a sport, but like. You know, even when he was doing his world top, when he was doing his world challenge thing, now I was seriously sit, sitting there thinking, like, "Fuck Blake, you know, I could, I could fucking do that longer than him. Fuck him." You know what I mean? <laughs> I, but, uh, Bring it on, Flints. Yeah, Let's do it. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and, I, and I was so supportive. I, I went out there and met him in the surf at three in the morning, then surfed at five, and then went to work. And I was fucking exhausted the whole day. I, I complained to my missus and everyone, like my kids. Well, I've got three kids. They're three, two, and one. They, they don't even listen to a sh thing I say. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm so exhausted. And then you know, it, it just makes me proud of like what, what what Blake's done. And I feel like it all stems from you know surfing and and you know his dad and his mum and everything that. It, you know, Blake would know, like, micro, ace, bucking, I don't know if he's here, but, like, but all of us went through these junior series, we're so competitive, and it just, it just, I feel like it never changes, like, you can be at all aspects in your life and, and accomplish something, and then Blake just, I feel like he's the one individual that doesn't matter how old he gets, he keeps, like, knocking over these barriers and accomplishing something, you know what I mean? There's not yeah. many people that do that, there isn't. It's mad, man, like... I'm not as old as I look, but, by the way. <laughs> but it is classic. Like, you guys all grow up together. You all do the, the junior series. You're all mates. You travel together when you hit the QE. You're doing surf trips. And I was going to say, like, the, the peaks and troughs of your careers come in all these different spikes. You know, like, mostly when a pack comes through, like the Cooley kids, they all come through together. If the Momentum crew comes through, like, they all push each other and they all move at the same pace. But one of the interesting things about you three guys is that Grit and tenacity is really what's at the heart of your story. So, like, you know, if someone was going well and you weren't, you just had to dig deep and find a way. And, Micro, you know, we joke sometimes that you're on the QE for a long time, but you never gave up, man. You fucking kept fighting and you got there. And even when you got your tailbone snapped off on a fucking reef head, you kept going. And in the end, man, you got to surf four years and really valuable years in world-class waves on the Dream Tour. So... What did you learn about yourself in all that struggle to get to where you really wanted to be? And how has that translated into your coaching as well? 
Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, like, Blake, when we were kids, was your, like, for him, to him, like, he, he was the man. He was sponsored, he was, like, in the ads. And at the time, obviously, we just look at Blake and go, fuck, we want that. And then now at my age and, and my role now, you look at that and it's, it's a dangerous, like, like Blake said, he was like, fuck, I've got this, I don't want to lose it. And we're looking at that and we're hungry because we've got something to chase. And I think, yeah, for me and my QS career, it was that. It was like I was never meant to make it and I was never told, you know, and you've got to, you've, here you go, you're sponsored, you're like kind of given to you in a way that everyone's telling you you're going to do it. And all the way back down to Blake's, Blake's role, at his age, that's, that's dangerous and it's, I see that now with the kids in the in the surf industry. It's like, as soon as they're earmarked, it's kind of like I feel for them because it's like they don't know any better. They're just a grom and they're told they're going to make it. Every heat, every event they get second in, it's like a failure in their head because they're just told they're going to win. And it's, yeah, and I feel like when you put yourself on the flip side, everyone's like, if you know, and for me, if I got second, I was fucking stoked and I felt like I had a win. And I've got, I'm chasing something and I feel like I've always got area to grow and, like, you know, and there's this, this carrot in front of you the whole way because you've got something to chase. And, and that's where I felt for Blake. Like, it was, it was hard. And at the time, we didn't really know. It was just, like, we're just kids flapping around doing our best. But, like, the way you put it with, you know, him trying to protect what you had and we're trying to chase something, it's, it's a perfect example. And it's, yeah, I know I just feel like that's what got me to eventually get in there because every time someone kind of spoke like, you know, in a hint of that I wouldn't make it, I took that as, like, the best motivation. Like, everyone used to say to me, you need to be more confident. And I was just, like, deep down, I was, like, I'm, I'm fucking doing it. And, like, every time I had a heat against John and, like, you could sense everyone around you, you got John, John, your heat, I loved it internally. But everyone's, like, you got to, like, you got to be confident. And I was like, you've got no idea inside how confident I am. <laughs> but, like, like, I just feel like I had nothing to lose. And I'm just chasing the, you know, and the ultimate is to beat John or Gabby or whatever. And I had nothing to lose. If I lost, it was like, there's literally, it was expected. But deep down, I was like, fuck, I want to win this so bad. And I had nothing to lose. And that feeling is a lot different to a 10-year-old kid who's told, you should win this comp. And that's so hard for a grom. Oh, man, that's sage advice. I sage. love that story. So sick. So gritty, Vaughn. It is gritty. And um, <laughs> I reckon that oh, round of applause God. for that. Like, that's fuck. epic. There's a lot of people out there. So I just want to... Fuck John. When, you, when you're taking on, like... Because you've been part of world title campaigns, Micro, you've coached people back from, like, fuck, the, the edge of oblivion, you know, uh, with Owen Wright's injury, etc. When you take on a high level, big money athlete, how do you find their carrot? Like, what is their carrot? Like, how do you sort of deconstruct them and find the motivation for them to want to be you in that moment against John John? Yeah, I, I guess that's my job in a nutshell. It's, it's, everyone is so different. And if you really strip back and get to know them really well and really personally, there's, there's always something in there that, that motivates them and, and, you know, when you try and peel back all the, the sponsors and the money and the titles and the trophies, it's like just to remind them at the end of the day, that's like 
that's irrelevant. Like, you know, when you, and try and remind them that if they have this inner drive to be better and to learn and find the little wins rather than these big kind of like trophies and everyone telling you're a legend, I feel like when you pull it all back, you, people have this, like, this inner motivation that they find that they didn't really know why they were doing it. And it looks like from the outside they're just doing it, you know, in their ways because, you know, in money and sponsors and, and it's just kind of like a lot of fluffy shit. But if you really get in there, there's people find a motivation that actually fires them up way more than anything else. So, and then once you kind of stir that pot, then, yeah, then she gets real. Amazing. We've got a world junior champ in the room tonight in Jarvis, obviously, and, you know, he's on the cusp of greatness potentially, but, you know, it doesn't always pan out. We've seen people win world junior championships and it's taken them uh, another 10 years to get to the world tour. I mean, what separates the weed from the chaff? Like, uh, in that junior level, you know, what have you identified that, you know, often ends up being a, a blockage uh, he's a, amongst... He's a goofy footer. He's a goofy footer. <laughs> but yeah, like, what you know? What advice would you give, I guess, to a, a young kid embarking on this journey of uh, you know making the world tour? And, and what are some of the the hurdles and challenges? And uh, yeah, just the kind of mindset that you need to take into a challenge like this. Yeah, like Jarvis is a great example. He's he's absolutely unbelievably talented, and he's got all the support and from sponsors and, and a community like this that all completely rally for him and they wanted to see him do well, but it's deep down in him of what he's doing it for and why he wants to do it. And I feel like you really find that in, like, moments when you are losing and then when you're injured and you're like... It's, it's weird, but I swear when someone gets injured, I swear two weeks later when they're, like, down, fully injured, out of the water for a couple of months, you hear tell if someone's going to bank it or not like those people have that like I know you guys use as your, your mad song at the start but they have that grit they're like I'm injured and I'm not anywhere near the ocean right now but I will be back and I feel like that is what you know and that grit and resilience is is the the golden kind of piece of the puzzle to get through all the way and like you know and you'll have your moments like Jarvis won a world junior title it's unbelievable but he'll have some some moments where he doesn't win a heat for a few months and like as long as he's still looking in the mirror seeing the same kid at the end of the day and the same bloke going I'm going to get there and I'm going to try my best and I'm going to be proud of myself however this rolls out if if someone can go a, a streak of losing for six months and still look in the mirror, in the mirror before a heat going fuck let's do it those those people are the ones that end up getting there. You clearly, mate, as a, as a you know someone who works with the, the elite, you look at other examples of people who are finding ways to motivate not just themselves but make life better for their communities. You know, basically excel on whatever that looks like. You've been mates with this guy for a long, long time. Both of you guys, Kirky. Tell us a little bit about the grit that you've seen this guy sort of inhabit over the past 25, 30 years. Yeah, Blake's like, he's truly like one of my best mates that, you know, we always say that we'll be mates forever and it's, it's pretty cool. Like watching him, he's had a, like I guess his moment of challenge was like being earmarked as that kid and then watching everyone 
in that marathon, slowly catch up and then slowly overtake. And he was looking looking next to himself, going, "Fuck, well, these guys are catching me," and then they're overtaken. That's that's hard, like especially at his age to watch that go down over a few years, and then, um, yeah, and then like crew like Ace and Cans and Bead and whatever they all went on to do amazing things. And it's in Blake's resilience to kind of like be proud of his mates and then still be proud of himself for who he is. And then his family challenges, and I feel like Blake's got more resilience than most people I know. And to watch him do what he did here was like, it was crazy. When he when he told me he signed up for, for that, I was like, it's incredible that he even signed up for it, because he didn't know if he could actually finish it. Obviously, deep down, he was like, I'm going to do my absolute best. You can You can drag me out of that ocean, but... To be vulnerable enough to even just sign up for that and put it out there to the world and go, I'm going to break a record, that's that's pretty ballsy. And then, yeah, 40 hours, it's the longest he's ever gone without losing his keys or his wallet. So that was pretty <laughs> I mean, you've known him your whole life. Like, did you ever see it coming? Did you ever know that he'd have this in him to, to not just pull this off, but fire out, man. He's been running like 100Ks, 80Ks every other month for quite a while now. Yeah, did you ever have an inkling that he had... This level of grit in him. Grit. Nose breathing only, too, remember? Don't forget that part. Um, he used... Yeah, my nickname with Blake is Crump. Like, he used to be a little fatty, like like I am. And... But he just loved just doing stuff. And I feel like that's where it's led him to, like... He's not one to sit around and, like... You know, until about these rusty ads that he had and just fluff around. He just loved getting out and doing stuff. And I feel like... Through the adversity of his of his challenges and his just his madness to go out there and chase and do kind of adventurous stuff from like snowboarding, surfing, chasing waves, like he he's like even just if it's surfing a rip bowl, he just goes so hard at whatever he does. It's like I I genuinely yeah wasn't surprised that he started getting into running weird shit and doing crazy things and. Just doing wild stuff that just challenged himself, and obviously he's taking that to another level with what he's doing now. But yeah, it's not surprising. But I um, I just yeah. But even even in saying that, like, if you if anyone ever thought about like breaking the world record, right? Like it, the way you would surf, you, you'd be like, okay, you know, the forty hours, you'd be like, there's no fucking way you take off on a wave and surf. The, when Blake did it. It, it, it was the perfect conditions, but the first day it was actually like four foot pumping. Like. Flint's four foots was like. And there was a ran, there was a random no, ten like, footer too. The, remember the, that, that one ten foot set that Gallon got. But you know, but the, there's the, there's no way there's no way in the world you'd take off on the wave and do eight Rios and then do a, a closeout Rio and then go out the back and then for that eight Rios to count for your one wave. I was just like, he, he's it, he's 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 tripping. <laughs> but I was like, he, he, he obviously doesn't know how this shit works. Like, I was yeah. like, bro, you need to chill. And then, <laughs> in so in respect of like what he did, I was, I was just like, look, there's no way if I wanted to do like if I was gonna try to break that record, I, I would I would like fight ass around like half ass surf the waves, and then. I, like, I wasn't there, I was working, but like, when I saw what he did, I was just like, what, what is he doing? He's like tripping, you know what I mean? Like, 
And that's like what I gave him so much credit for. Like I told you, I, like I went out there and had a surf with him from like, I think it was from like 3.30 to 5 a.m. And I was wrecked the rest of the day. Like I went home to my missus with the kids and I was like, I'm so tired. I thought people would feel sorry for me. And no one did. No one did. I did. But, and that, I just feel like that just shows like Blake's grit and he, even before that, if you look, he was doing like runs. He'd run for like 20 hours straight. And you know, and I even said to him, I don't know if Blake remembers this, but I was just like, look, I'd like you to run from Sydney to Goldie because I feel like there's, I don't know anyone that's ever done that. And I feel like he could have done it. And I'm glad that he's done something away from running because he's a deep at heart. He's always a surfer. Like Blake's a surfer, you know, and to be honest with you, like after that whole thing went down, I was just like, I'm, I was so proud. I was just like, fuck, you know what? At the end of the day, someone that I've grown up with and uh, I, I've known for my whole life, but to, for someone to break the world record and do what he did, it's just like, it, it, it made me feel something that I've never felt before and almost uh, fucking made me cry and I never cry. <laughs> <laughs> Some made Flynn off cry, mate. Whack that on your nah, resume. Yeah, and um, I'm just proud well, of him. Wow, that's, that's a big one. <laughs> World record holder, longer surf. Slash Made cry. Flint off cry. Tracks get it cup. Pretty good achievement list. Yeah. Ladies Just and gentlemen, what about a round of applause for Kirk Flintoff and Glenn Micro Hall coming all the way down? We're going to have a quick break in a moment, but before we do, thanks so much, legends. We're going to get uh, Jarvis Earl and uh, Valentino up here as well. Giselle. Let's do it. Coming up, guys. Oh, not the corn staffs, please. Respect. So, Valentino and Jarvis, round of applause for these guys. Olympians, world champions. Far out the shires, churning them out at the moment. So, we won't keep you up here too long, boys. Good to see you. But we know that both of you guys, you know, met Blake when you were just tiny little groms. You both got to experience his uh, generosity in this community through the surf school. Tell us your first uh, impression of this guy when you met him. Um, my first impression of Blake, I used to always do the early morning surf coaching with him and he'd pick us up at like 4am with music blasting and take us out to Billy and yeah, he was the first guy who took me out there and yeah, he was always frothing to surf and waking up at like 2am. So yeah, it was good. What kind of music? Skits techno? <laughs> Usually Kendrick Lamar. Ah. He showed me Tool. He introduced me to Tool, if anyone knows what that is, which oh, is... fucking oath. Iconic band. Yeah. Are you kidding Heavy. me? You'd be nowhere without uh, Tool. Gritty. Ah. Gritty. <laughs> Took Fanning to his first world title. Um, mate, tell us about these Groms and, you know, just the, uh, the froth levels that you get out of giving back to the community. I mean, you've had... Plenty of charges come through your system. Connor O'Leary, of course. Uh, Mum's in the room as well. Yeah, Arky. Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary, Arky. bruh. Yeah, right and, on. Uh, you know, like, mate, this is like the next generation of giving back to this community. Because when you were a Grom, and especially, you know, older crew here would know, this, this was a tough town for a while. It was, it was a hard place to sort of grow up and feel like you could have a healthy pathway. These two are the perfect example of the changes that have been happening. Yeah, yeah, well, um... um Again, um, I've spent so much time, especially with Jarvis and Connor growing up and Val. We met um, Val's from down the coast, down at Dalmini. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 
just stoked of the type of humans they are. And that's what I get from my coaching. It's not about how well they perform, but it's just about if they're enjoying the process and they're not making stupid mistakes and we get, and we have it, you know, like the, we should be so proud of not only what Connor's achieving on the world tour and Jarvis, but who they are as people, big smiles on their faces, a community that backs them and genuinely loves them. It's like, I've spent decades with both those two guys from Jarvis when he was six years old and Connor the 10 and I, that's what I'm so proud of. I don't need any credit for it at all. I just, just know that they're good humans and they're, they're going to do the right thing no matter what and I've, I've been a part of that for them for sure. Fucking oath. Mate, you've done an, in, an incredible job. You've raised two champions. I mean, Val May, like, uh, what was it, sixth on debut at the, the Beijing Olympics, man. Unbelievable, dude. Talk us through that experience. Yeah, well... Um... I don't know. I made it to the Olympics and I was happy. And then I just wanted to go out and shred. And um, yeah, I just uh, stuck to my guns and went for it. And it was all right. What was it like, though, rocking up in China? You know, you just a, a grom from Australia. Like, it must have been a trip out. Talk us through just the, the culture shock of being at the Games. It was pretty sus, eh? Um, yeah, it's pretty sus. I bet they've got your, your face all like beamed into a million different data encryption devices. You, you, I don't know. Just careful what you say, mate. But go on. All right. Well, Spill the beans. Yeah, no, it was pretty interesting. Like, it's a very different place to obviously hear, you know. And uh, especially in COVID, there was very little human to human connection. Like, we were kind of locked in a village. Uh, and the only way we could get around was by bus to the competition venue. So, yeah, it was very interesting. I, um, it just, yeah, I spent, well, we went to Bali when Vail was about 13, and you could just see the, the intensity of when he wanted to be good at something. Even surfing's his thing that he does for, for fun, so that's why we connected really good. Like, he, it's his release from competing and being the world's best and prodigy and everything, and he gets to come home surf his brains out and, and, and still he's, he shreds, he absolutely shreds. Yeah, no so. joke, you won the regionals, right? Yeah, a little while ago. That's pretty psycho though, that's, uh, you know, that's not an easy comp to win in this part of the world. Uh, I mean, yeah, talk to us about y- your surfing journey, like how hard has it been to, to balance those two passions? Well, just quickly, he's, um, he na- he's a natural footed snowboarder, but he's a goofy footed surfer. So, yeah, what's goofy. the deal there? That's tripped out, another goof. Yeah, well, um, I started surfing, like, uh, a lot when I was probably 9 or 10. And, um, yeah, I really just sucked at it. So I wanted to get better, obviously, and uh, moved to the coast permanently around that time. And I really wasn't doing anything else but surfing when I was at home. And, uh, yeah, it's, like, my second biggest passion, for sure. Javi, we spoke after you won the world title on the podcast. It was, it was so cool, man. I could hear just how ecstatic you were. But, you know, this is such a proud surfing town. We've heard about all the legends uh, from all the different disciplines. What did it feel like to come back here with that title? Um, yeah, it was a pretty sick experience. So I got the wild card for the World Juniors and was just going over there frothing to be in the event and just came away with the win and there was so much support from home. Like, everyone in the surfing community was just behind me and, like, congratulating me and, yeah, it was just really good to see. Yeah, mate, I think everyone in the room was so proud of both you guys and, uh, fuck, mate, that air you did as well out of the half pipe. Did you break some world record of fucking seven metres high or some shit? 
But hey, um, we heard that Kit, you made Kirk Flinoff cry. Um, tell us how you guys felt seeing Blake do what he did when he broke that world record. How did, how did it feel for you being from the Shire and seeing something so remarkable like a world beater? Yeah, it was pretty good. Like I grew up with Blake doing all these coaching sessions and South Coast missions and yeah, so I I did the last hour surfing with him down at the alley and there was like a huge crowd on the beach and yeah, I knew, knew Blake was always going to do it. So yeah, it was good. A few tears, Javi? Yeah, definitely a couple. He, when he got in the water, he, when we were walking out, remember what you said to me? Do you remember what you said to me? He goes, oh, so you've got to stay wider in the rip and pull it. I said, fuck off, I taught you how to surf. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, that was like when I surfed with my dad. Well, he's going, come over here, Dad. He just wants to fucking strangle me. He's like, mate, don't you tell me where to sit. Val, what about you, man? Um, you know, you, you've competed at the highest level. You know what it's like, but what did it mean to you to see Blake take out that Guinness World Record? Yeah, man. Well, I was over in Europe and I was punching walls. I really wish I was here, eh? I wish I got to, got to witness it in person. But, you know, hearing that from overseas and like, man... What an amazing thing to do. That is, like, think about it. 40 hours with no sleep, just paddling. Like, I surf for three hours, and I go home and sleep for five hours, you know? Like, in the middle of the day. So, it's super insane, and I'm, I'm super happy for him, and it's a really, really beautiful thing. Boys, thanks for getting up and sharing uh, your thoughts and stories. We are, honestly, everyone in this Shire, and everyone in Australia, for that matter... Just keeping an eye on you guys. We wish you all the best. Take it in your time. Enjoy the ride. We're going to have a quick break. Big round of applause for the panellists so far. Thank you to Kirky and Micro coming all the way down. We're going to come back with some uh, video messages from uh, some very special people. And then we're going to kick into Blake's story some more. We want to go deep into this, into this journey with the world, title, uh, world record surf, mate. I want to know just how painful it was. We'll be back soon. Thanks, brother. Great messages there from uh, some heroes. Mick Fanning, mate, he's, uh, he quiets a room, doesn't he? Yeah, he's amazing. He's, he is. He's epic. But, I mean, to get props from a guy who really understands, you know, a he understands pain. He understands commitment. He understands the triumph that can come from leaning into it. Yep. And uh, I think that's why he was so up for sending that message to you. So, yeah, that's really cool, mate. Yeah, no, thank, thanks to them. Mate, uh, yeah, this is a good place to leave off, actually. Let's get into to the why of what you're doing, what, like why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you're raising awareness about mental health and mental illness. You're raising money for mental health and uh, the treatment of mental illness. But why? I mean, can you talk to us a bit about, you know, what put you on this journey? Yeah, I think I've always been someone who's been really empathetic and compassionate to other people. I have memories of being like a, a grime and coming from a big loving family and um, just having yeah, a lot of empathy and, and, and that's got to lead me to where I am now. And just, I can remember things with, say mum and dad had a little argument or a fight I remember like being the kid in the middle I'm going to have to run away you know I don't want to upset mum I don't want to upset dad so that was you know I would have been five or six and back then already thinking about 
how other affected other people then. So I think it's a, it's been a natural progression to you know and realize like you can have an impact when you care enough and not to be embarrassed about those emotions and the care that you can have for people. Now, this community and you personally have lost some people to mental illness uh, over the years. Obviously, no one closer to you than your old man. Um, but also Andrew Murphy too, like a, a local icon who, who played a really significant role in the early years of your surf career. I mean, can you talk to us about just what losing people so close to you Talk us through that, the grieving process and the, the imprint that it left on you. Yeah, well, through um, just, you know, putting it out, in the, out into the world as I was going to do the world record, I've had a lot of reflection, you know. A lot of the challenges I've set on myself have been learning a lot of personal growth through other runs and things I've done. But this one was about raising money and others have been about my own resilience and perseverance and stuff to test myself. And this one I was putting it out there for, for a cause bigger than me and um, allowed me to reflect on my life more and sort of go back to my childhood and do that and write it out because I was already getting asked questions when I was in the local paper. So I knew if it was, and I believed in the cause that it would blow up like it did. And, you know, I was able to reflect on, on things that happened. And the thing with Murph, he was an... I, I hadn't really processed that either. I, I was 16. I just... Um, was just... Um, had a sort of a bidding contract, a bidding war with Quicksilver and Rusty. And I... Murph was like my idol. I've mentioned that a couple of times. Him and Adam Brown, and they um, and um, he looked after me. He went to Hawaii with Tom Carroll and Murph, and he took me out to Australia and really backed me from 11. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And I had a lot of respect for him. And the, and the week that I signed with Rusty, it was hard for me because I had that connection with Murph. I didn't give a fuck about the money. It was more about the people <laughs> again. And um, yeah, that, that that first trip, as soon as I signed with Rusty, I was I was emotional about that because of Murph. And um, flew over to um, Perth that day and um, met the new team manager and he said, sorry to hear about Murph. And I heard Murph committed suicide that night. It was my first sort of interaction with it and trying to process that. As a 16-year-old, I had guilt about him maybe having thoughts about he didn't do it, you know, that I put in there, that I had those, you know, any influence on that as well. So that was something that I've been reflecting on the last year, got to go on. You know, I've been surrounded by this and I've had feelings and emotions to deal with that you know maybe haven't dealt with properly since since then too so yeah there's a lot learnt you know looking back on it now uh i mean i guess like before i even get to that like i guess one of the tough things about suicide um it's hard because when people take their own lives like it's kind of hard to 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 talk about why a lot of the time, like the contributing factors, you know, uh, there's a reluctance to, to have those kinds of conversations because we don't want to speak ill of the dead or, or disrespect their memory or their legacy. But at the same time, you know, you kind of do have to have honest conversations for those of us that are still alive and, and trying to figure this shit out. Um, you know, we do need to kind of bore in on, on some of the factors that contribute to mental illness. Is that something that you've reflected on with... Murph or, or your father even, just like just some of the factors. Still that you... am, 100% still am. I look at lifestyle choices. I look at things they could have been active in and things that might have been missing that could have put the puzzle together for them to have a manageable life and and, and, and enjoyable life too, you know, things that, that, that we all have access to to enrich our lives. And it's um, only upon reflection that you sort of... And been having that experience with... I think I've had six people close to me that have taken their own lives, including Shmoo and a couple of people my own age... That it was, um, 
it's just a reflection of that and seeing what part was missing. Like mental health's holistic. It's not just I feel good, let's go. And most people feel really good about themselves and they forget to maintain it or take note of what they're doing. It's only when they feel bad that we maybe start talking about it or things and patterns change. So it's really important that you know, we look at what makes us feel good when we are good and we maintain that and it's an evolution. It's like it keeps going. What are some of the specifics? Like, let's get into the, the nitty-gritty, the mechanics of, of good mental health, as you know it. You've got to be proud of yourself, 100%. You've got to know that you're worthy. And I will say that to the day I die. Everyone deserves to feel awesome. Everyone. Like, every single person you meet, no matter what they've been through, what they're going through, um, that is what I live by. You know, everyone. You can't judge anyone. Everyone's gone through their own shit, whether they're a millionaire living on the beach or well, we all have. We all ride those waves of emotion, and it's, you cannot judge anyone. You got to, you know, I'm proud of the empathy I have and the compassion I have for people because I, you know, I feel for them and I want to help people where I can. And I think that's why exactly why I'm sitting up here now. Yeah. At what point? At what point in your journey? with you know trauma management did you start to realize that being practical about it as well as talking was a huge factor because um we were talking about the other day you know you you, i'm not sure when the running came into your life but certainly after losing your dad there was a a need for you to be physical to to help to heal yeah for sure like i i love the um the uh, the concept that you know we we say we we don't say, oh, I think depressed, I, I think anxious, I think stressed. We say we feel it, yeah. you know, I feel anxious, I feel depressed. And that's embedded within our body. Subconsciously, it's in our heart or it's in our body, whatever way you want to look at it. So we can influence that, you know, by being active and physical. It's not about looking good. More, Way more importantly, it's about how we're feeling on the inside. And we can have some control over that. Mm. And I want it to be really practical and not spiritual of any way I come from. I'm not an expert in anything, but I want people to experience what I've experienced, you know, being able to see some progress and that's an important part of your mental health, having that little gain and being proud of yourself and moving forward in any direction um, with any skill or anything that you like doing. Mm. I often see mental illness. I mean, I've suffered a pretty acute mental illness, a lot of head injuries from playing football and fighting and carrying on, growing up in a pretty violent home like, uh, you know, and, and ended up on the bones of my ass around you know, that kind of difficult period, 27 to the 35 period was hard. Uh, and But what I've Coming through the, the other side of it now, beginning to, what I've come to realise about mental illness, anxiety and depression is that really like as simply as I can put it in my experience is that it, it all boils down to, to low energy. Like if you can create energy, if you have a lot of energy, it's pretty well impossible to feel depressed or anxious. You can be maybe acutely schizophrenic or, or in a psychosis and have high energy and be manic. But in terms of depression and anxiety, like a lot of that can be alleviated just through having high energy. And, and now we know, uh, you know better than anyone, that we have the tools now to, to generate energy. And it can be as simple as lying in your bed and doing six rounds or three rounds of Wim Hof. Uh, you know, it, it can be uh, going for a run. Uh, it, it can be meditation, and I, I actually think that on a daily basis you should do all three. You should start the day with those three, and if you're struggling with mental illness, just try doing that for a week, you know, getting up, doing Wim Hof, cold shower, a bit of exercise, and some meditation. I mean, yeah, talk to us about, you know, just the, the simplest way that you can frame up for people 
dealing with mental illness because, I mean, the statistics say that most of us will... I mean, I, I tend to think anxiety is a, a pretty... It's a universal emotion. Everyone will feel it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not like one in three. It's like three out of three people will feel anxiety at some point in their life, at some point in their day. Um, and, and depression as well. You know, depression is, in my experience, just when you're tired and low energy. But, like... As simply as you can put it, you know, what's the formula for good mental health? I think the formula is moving, you know, that energy. We've got energy whether it's in a negative place or a positive place and we can sometimes be unsure of where that is. It can be subconsciously within our body and our mind and there's there's an imbalance there somewhere. So to be able to find and put that energy in the correct place and it can be anything, anything that interests you, anything where you're seeing some progress... And being able to harness, and it's way harder than it's, it's easy for me to say here, sit up here and say that, but be able to put some time aside for yourself. Understand that the better the better you are, the better the people are around you, and you can have an effect in that way. And then I think that's once you've gone through an episode with it like that, I think you just learn to begin that, that it's more than just about you. You know, with well, you being a better person, you start to connect with the people around you, and, and that's what can snowball, and that's what really can change the world in, in this space and make sure that we you know, we can influence. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, that's what spirituality is in my definition. It, it cops a, a, a bum rap as, as being this woo-woo, mullumbimby well, well, kind of thing. Well, that's half the problem, right? It's, this shit's practical as. There's science studies. You can Google it if you want. There's endless data behind it now. That's, it's not woo-woo and there's still that stigma to it in that way. And the way we change that is is we, we live by example as adults, as parents, as, as elders of the community. We live healthy, happy lifestyles and we encourage, we show vulnerability, we do things that, that we get that progress from and that influences the next couple of generations to not, to not be woo-woo, to be normal and show that it is practical so that we can make a change and, make, and we do have the power to do that. Every single one of us in the room has that power. Yeah, and you make that change for the people around you. You know, you do all that, that shit that you don't want to do. It might be Wim Hof might be going for runs. It, it might be getting in the yeah. ice. But the reason you're doing it is to be a better father, better friend, better community member. And, and that's spirituality in my definition. 100%. You know, people have said, oh, you, you, over the last few years, oh, you've lost it. I'm, I've found it, man. I know exactly, exactly what I'm doing. You can say that all you want. How good's that? Yeah, it, it's funny, man. Like, there seems to be this, um, almost this definition of, like, we talk about core and hardcore and this kind of stuff. And, you know, in the culture that we grew up in, it, it's almost as though hardcore translated to zero self-care. Like, being hardcore when I was growing up was drinking piss, doing drugs, uh, being a, a self-absorbed, soft cock degenerate, basically, <laughs> is the way I look at it now. And I... Uh, the opposite is true, really, isn't it? The core yeah. is what you're doing, in my opinion, which is, you know, just making quantum leaps, um, you know, basically sacrificing yourself on the altar, like, in, in a sense, for the greater good, you know, proving what is possible, what the human spirit and human body and, and mind is possible. Like, that's core, and you're doing it dead sober, and, and you set <laughs> incredible... Uh, legacy, man, for, for your people. It's amazing. Well, I, I think we're all capable of it, you know what I mean? Like, when I said I found it, it's just like that we all deserve to feel awesome. We can tap into that. we got to, you know, learn to be proud of ourselves first and understand that you're worthy to give yourself that little bit more time. You know, I get up at 4 o'clock because I love my family. I don't want to run for two hours while Bobby and Duke are wrestling. I want to be there with them, you know. You've got you to gotta sacrifice to make a difference. And whether it's in sport and high performance 
or in life in general, you know, that's the lessons we get from those guys, what outcomes we can have. If, it's, if we dedicate ourselves to being better people and really put everything into it, we're going to, we can all change the world and make the people around us happier. So I feel a responsibility to do that and, and, and I'll do that until I die and I bring everyone with me and hopefully they feel awesome too. It's classic, man. Uh, we were chatting about, you know, when running started to become consistent because you, you were into it, you'd have, uh, you, you know, you'd do your thing, but then you'd take time off, you'd have holidays, this and that. But in 2017, you went to Bali and this is when, this is when running became something more consistent in your life. Can you tell us what happened there? Yeah, probably a couple of things, but it was just, um, I was laying in, in bed one day with Bobby and Duke and they started playing fat dad, skinny dad. So I'd be really stressed at surf school and not stressed, just busy, not looking, taking care of myself. I was still surfing every day, working and trying to, you know, support my family and do the right thing by them and just didn't put myself as a priority. And, and you could see it. You could see when surf school would back off and I'd go to Bali, I'd run every day, get me a little OCD, run 7Ks every day on the treadmill, lose 10 kilos and then come back home and... and get into the zone then you know and and that wasn't that that wasn't that healthy you know and that was maybe a part of dealing with my dad's passing that I, that I thought I could get rid of this energy fucking somewhere yeah. and that was doing it and I was still surfing two or three times a day or doing five lessons and you know but not taking care of myself too so it was, it was pretty painful yeah. Yeah. so what happens though is you basically start becoming the Forrest Gump of the Shire people are waking up driving to work and you're running back home from Narrabeen or wherever the fuck you'd run to. And, uh, nah, look, I'm... <laughs> but this is, this is basically what, what you're saying is, you know, you were not taking care of yourself at home because you were getting lost in, you know, the same things, the same cycle that everyone gets lost in. Work, stress, money, debt, all these things. And then when you finally get a little time out and you get to take care of yourself, you started to realise when your groms are going, you're not fat dad anymore, you're skinny dad that you can look after yourself constantly when you get home. So when did the, the like, endurance and, you know, pushing your, yourself to another place start to come in? Was that from a place of dealing with pain or was that because you had crossed over into loving yourself? Yeah, I think that, was a, that was a, wasn't instant at all. You know, it was, um, it was very gradual, especially as I became more and more um, physically fit and just found that another level there was progress and I just went for it and I probably showed the dedication needed to to be at a higher level with everything and what's more important than our own mental health and our well-being. And that's, the direct, that's what I got from it. It wasn't physically what I was achieving. It was I felt good every single day because I was pushing myself and I mean, running barefoot it's not the first thing in the world. It fucking sucks. But, it's, you know, I do it because it's a challenge and, you know, we cut right through it. I get growth out of that. And the big challenges, I, yeah, they're, um, they're the ultimate mirror of life like you go through highs and lows on those things and you nice yourself you're horrible to yourself you experience everything and it really teaches your resilience and it's the best teacher i've ever had in that regard you know and really learn to be kind to myself through it and still obviously learning with that but yeah there's a few yeah mate take us inside some of these skits grit missions uh i mean the, what was it 161 kilometer run uh from was it like Freaking through Gary up uh, up to Cronulla, like uh, you know, just some of these runs are crazy. Like, 
talk to us about some of the, the, the big challenges or, or mishaps or just yeah, just really yeah. gnarly lessons you, you learned through the through the pain and hardship. Yeah, look, the, the key to it all is consistency, right? Just to be able to constantly put yourself in that place. So I'm, I train a lot. I do a lot of that, and like I'm a surfer. I run because I'm, it's dark and not out there ripping anyways. But um. Yeah, look, it's just that pro- progress you see as well, like like mental health, right? I, I it started from um, me just coming back from Bali one time, and Lauren was doing something at the gym, and I said I'd get on the diet with her, and I started to feel less sore, still running, coming back, just come back from Bali, and my body started to change. It wasn't as sore even within a week or two, and then so I, I fully changed my diet. Um, then I felt really good, started doing more Wim Hof. I did a few courses of Wim Hof. Started doing the breathing, the ice baths, all this stuff. And it was a combination of things, not just one thing that really just kept seeing progress in my own mental health. So that's what I love about it, you know. And I know that I've been through bad times that if I can't run, I'll be able to manage those times when it comes to People often say, oh, what about when you can't do all this? I'm like, that's what I'm equipping myself for. Like, it's, I know it's not always going to be like this. Life's, again up and down, no matter how good we seem as times, we're also going to have to dig through some tough times ahead. Mm. We live in a culture that is kind of rooted in comfort. Uh, you know, we're, we're, if you want, you, you can never leave the comfort zone. Uh, you know, we live in uh, temperature-controlled settings. You, you can order food uh, with your phone to your doorstep. Um, you know, a lot of people, they never have to really confront any level of... Uh, adversity in a sense like um, there's plenty of stress that comes in but what do you what's the value in leaning into discomfort and uh you know just challenging yourself what's the value in in that i think ask me that question again <laughs> yeah just like well you know you look at how people live they, they, they live in suburban homes that they, they they're driving to uh, two hours a round trip to get to work yeah. um you know they're, they're pressed for time uh, the food they're eating might yeah. not be the best. They might be ordering in food. It just yeah. seems like the way we're living is, is not really conducive to creating good mental health outcomes. And what, one of the key ways uh, in, in which we can generate good mental health outcomes is leaning into adversity. It's yeah. getting in the ice. It's doing Wim Hof. It's going for runs. Yeah. I guess, like, uh, yeah, what's the value um, in, in leaning into adversity? Yeah, well, I, I think it's really important and I think it's really important and a big part of why the youth mental health thing is what I'm, what I'm wanting to back, you know, to have that influence on them. We do have it so good and the next generation have it even better. We've got so many, look in this room, they've got so many amazing parents and big brothers and that do everything for their kids and they're wonderful and these kids have got the best life. So I want to I make sure that they're grateful. Number one, they're super grateful for the amazing people they have around them and the, and the lives they live and then... You know, exposing to some vulnerability, exposing to that resilience, you know, where that is mental toughness that you gain from jumping in an ice mm. bath. When you do Wim Hof, you're in, you, you, you're in a stress state. You activate that stress state and you learn to control it. It's very simple stuff. It's not really complex. It is it's not simple. Weird. It's That's very the thing. simple. It, it's hard, uh, but it's simple. Like, yeah, you know, you only got to get in that ice bath for, I'll do it every day, you know, you only got to get in there for one, two, three minutes and, and you're good to go for eight hours. And... Uh, you know, th- there's these little hacks that yeah. we're learning now as a culture in the West that have probably been known about for 10,000 years in other parts of the world, but we're getting there in the end. Well, I, th- I think it, that's it. It's influenced through experience. It's not another conversation. It's not another lecture. It's not another poster. It's 
the person that might be sceptical, exposing them to a healthy weekend lifestyle where they get to experience themselves and go, hey, my mood shifted a little bit from three minutes in an ice bath. It actually works. Like Just through, through those things where you're, you're not just thinking about it or told what to do is where we'll have direct impact on it. And, and then the effects are almost immediate, you know? So it's exposing people to that and what the reason we're doing it for, not just going out for a run to get fit. It's you're out in nature, you know, you're connecting with nature and, and <clears throat> you're putting yourself to the test each time. So. Yeah, one thing I've noticed about, you know, the, the changes that are happening in communities like the Shire, uh, up at Lennox Head where I'm living at the moment, is that there is a communal effort to, you know, improve on these life choices, to improve on mental health, to improve on, you know, choices for the next generation. And you've been a part of that. You've, you've been able to not just go on your own journey, but also join with the, the Sons, which changed their Up name. The Sons. Right? Changed their Woo! name. But, I mean, how important is it, you know, to have that sort of support network when, you know, you're having an off day or, or you've got a crew you can tap into when you just, you need that extra bit of support? Yeah, look, it's, it's, like I said before, it's, mental health is a holistic approach. It's not just one certain thing that's going to make you feel better. And community and connection are pivotal parts to that. Crucial. Like, it is pivotal to that. You know, I look at my, my dad, dad was the hardest working guy ever and... He had a family that loved him. All his workmates loved him, but he didn't have an outside group where he could reflect on a different perspective on things and do all that too. He was so selfless that he was there for us and did all that. And I think that's something that was definitely missing, you know? And, and he could have had that. He could have went after that easy, you know? But it's something I think, oh, it could have been a bit more. That was definitely something I know now that's proven to be something that I wish you could have. I wish I could have thrown him in the ice bath every freaking day. Just, you know, fuck. Mm. Yeah, man, it's rough. It's it, it's hard, you know. You, it, it's so hard to you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Like, you, it, it's so hard to get people to to lean into discomfort in this culture. It, it's just it, 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 weakness is facilitated, you know. It's just bred into us by the the culture of com comfort that we live in, and I mean that's what makes what you're doing so exceptional because you're leaning into the discomfort so much, mate. Like you're fucking. You're going so hard and challenging yourself and you, you're showing that this is the way. This is how you do it in such an extreme way. But your day-to-day -day stuff as well, man, is, is, is really where, you know, the, the building blocks of these incredible achievements um, uh, are laid in place. And for me, it, it's simple, eh? It's, it, it's fucking, it's breath work, it's movement, it's meditation and it's community. If you do those four things, you'll be fucking sweet, mate. Guaranteed. Definitely. Yeah, definitely, like... Look at look at this. I'm just a record on the world record. Just how everyone felt. You look at photos that particular ones Chucky took, where you zoom in on every single person. And there was thousands. They're fucking smiling, you know. And that was that was because everyone was there with one another, you know. And that was something so powerful. Man. So I'm, powerful. Man. Let, let's get into it, insane. man. Oh, oh, we've got to get into it. Like th this, this is going to wrap our night. And we, everyone here knows what you've done. But take us through the journey from the moment you knew that that was what you were going to do to getting out there. You know, that's a process in itself. But when you first paddled out that first kind of couple of duck dives, what, what, what were the thoughts going through your mind in that exact moment? Um, I was stoked when I first went in the water because I was, I'd had a lot of anxiety. We were talking about where the energy was leading into it, all these interviews, and I've seen enough of my head for, to last me forever. <laughs> 
But then I thought about that and I thought, you know what? No, I want people to keep seeing my head. If that sparks a conversation with a parent and a kid, then fuck, put my weathered head anywhere you want. You know, if it can make a difference there. So, and just by doing this and showing that stuff, I'm I hopefully, you know, my mates want to do some things, come along and just show some vulnerability and get some growth and, and be with anyone can do the shit I'm doing. I'm not on special. I just want to make a change. I want to make a difference to the world. And, and you know, I feel the responsibility to it. So you have built this thing up and the people around you have built it up and it's a massive thing. It's much bigger than you. But when you first step off the sand into the water, that is only you. Yeah, so, I, I, was, I was relieved to just sort of leave it yeah. on the beach because this, this thing that I was doing, I trusted it the whole time. And this is something that from that first paddle out to when I wanted to just cry 10 for 15 hours, I trusted the process. Yeah. You know, as fucked as I felt, as fucked as we all feel at times in our lives, it's, <laughs> I, the biggest lesson I got from this was that you're exactly where you're meant to be. You're what? missing something if, you, if you're blaming things. That you've, there's, there's a lesson in everything as terrible as it may seem. What time did let you go paddle and out? Trust. Yeah, sorry. What time did you paddle out there? Paddle out at 1 a.m. 1 a.m.? Yeah. You feel this great sense of relief. How long, how many duck dives was it before you went, oh, fuck. Uh, and the anxiety just kicked straight back in. Probably <laughs> the first paddle out. It was, fuck, it, was, it was brutal. It was dead set brutal. Like, I thought I was going to be out there with Scotty and... The sons and high fiving going, yeah, Blake, you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it. And we didn't see him. We just got ping ponged from the wall to North Cronulla and people weren't getting out the back. And yeah, I was describe going, the conditions for everyone, because everyone on the news sees you wrapping it up. Yeah. You know, a couple of like little waves here and there, but describe what you were actually paddling out to, into in that first Yeah, well um Flint said it was two foot, but it was definitely like five to six foot for sure. East swell, eight, nine second period, just really con- consistent. Cronulla's not like that. You're normally waiting for your sets. You know, we're in the, bay, in the bay here and there's always a lag between the sets because the reef's out the back and it was really, really consistent. Any of the boys can vouch for me that, you know, an hour, an hour was enough out there just going under the waves and going on the water and it was, it was brutal. I was just like, fuck, that's really going to test me, you know? Look, I'm here, I know I'm going to do it, but you're going to put me through the ringer to get there, you know? And I really did have to earn it and that's one thing I'm proud of. For the moment I first paddled, I'm like, fuck, I'm in for it. I'm really in for it. I've yeah. got to earn this. You know, it's not going to come as easy as you can see the end, but it's not going to come easy, mate. Yeah, wow. That's so cosmic that you you confronted, like, serious hardship right from the get-go, right at the start. Yeah. was probably the worst of it. Well, well, probably the hardest thing to deal with throughout the process was something that still amazes me is that when I started it, I hadn't slept for 40 hours. I had so much energy and anxiety. From I wake up at 4 a.m. every day. I woke up at 4 a.m. on Tuesday. I didn't sleep till I started. So I was awake for 82 hours and did the, um, the wow. water I put in there. No way. That was something that was, that was constantly, you know, it was, it was there, the thought of that. At what point did you really confront, like, your first major moment of panic? Or, a, like, yeah, when it really was like you were thinking long and hard about whether you wanted to do this? Yeah, look, even the first couple of hours, there was fucking big jellyfish. Those little pricks have been around because they're dredging. I don't know where, where they come from. They're good for nothing. They're, I don't know what they do. They're still here, the little pricks out there somewhere. We're cutting them half foiling. We're trying to get rid of them. But, yeah, that, just that start, just, just, it was more frustration. Like, the frustrator's nearly ever been. I remember coming in, Lauren, and swearing at her, going... And I wasn't even cooked at that stage. Going, are they counting the fucking duck dives? I've, I've done 200 duck dives and two hours in. 
And then me and Matt Holman calculated it the other day, I think. I realised before the sun came up, I did approximately 400 duck dives before the sun even came up. So that's a lot of work, you know. Like, yeah. Lucky that you try to avoid any duck dives when you go surfing. And we did hear Flynn off say before, you know, like you got out there and you sort of... Did you have a strategy or were you just going, I'm surfing? Well, like, no, I was prepared for anything, you know. I, I was just knew. I was just going to have to change with the conditions, be as connected to the nature as, as I've ever been and just accept what was happening in front of me. You know, it was really cool just to be out there and we know waves change with the tides and yeah. Cronulla rapidly changes. It is, you know, so tide affected and swell affected. That, But just to be a part of every minute of it, to no, no, notice the swells generally, like the swells dying and just notice the subtleties in all that. It was a really cool experience from that perspective. It's mad, dude. Like, it's something that... I don't know, it's a, it's a bit like that Beatles song, The Fool on the Hill, sees the sun going, you know, the world going around, the sun coming up and going down. Like, you get so in tune when you spend so much time in the ocean. Like, what, what were some of the big surprises that caught you off guard that even a lifetime of surfing couldn't have pre- prepared you for? Just some weird, like, I always say I'm not spiritual, but after what I've experienced and looking back on my life, I've always, like, that connection I said I have with empathy and that, I think that is what it's about, you know, and like trying to make, be happy and that's me and be proud of that and make other people enjoy the things you like doing and, you know, that's, that's something that I think is spiritual in a way, I guess, and just the things that happen in the water, some weird things happen, like um, Chucky, um, you mind me saying this story, Chucky? Nah, that's all good. So Chucky's dad passed away a few years ago and um, they put his ashes in a dissolving turtle out the back of North Cronulla and when he paddled out, he guided me out. My eyes were cooked. By the time he paddled out, my eyes were cooked. He guided me out the back, just telling me there was no sets, making it a bit easier for me. And um, paddled out, and a turtle popped up. And I, I said, oh, he said, oh, no way, a turtle. And I didn't know that story. I thought it was just a reference to my dad because my dad was held mellow and cruisy. But um, yeah, he'd, he'd buried his dad, um, cremated his dad out the water at the back there, and we had a pretty special moment. All the energy of the crowd, the sharks just paddling out, the waves pumping... It was, it was pretty cool. We both sort of shed a bit of a tear and, yeah, shed a bit of a tear. And, yeah, it was um pretty pretty spiritual kind of experience, episode in that sense. Wow, man. Yeah, I love that. That's incredible. Those little moments, like, you know, whether you want to attach that kind of spiritual meaning to them or not, at, at the end of the day, like, they charge you up, right? Oh, They're totally. Like, even this little weird one, there's a local surfer here, well-known guy named Pop Out, and it was pretty big that first morning. And... He, I didn't see him in the lineup, and from nowhere he popped out of the whitewash and landed on my head. And I had this little little dwarf on my head with a bottom. I'm like, pop out, just popped out on my head. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> I, just the weirdest little things like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I was curious to know, like, actual physical, you know, what, what was happening to your body? What was happening to your 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 vision, your your hearing, your your senses, like yep. the actual physicality of what you put yourself through. Can you sort of give us an idea of that it sort of pain? So consumed in my eyes, that's what probably took a lot of the distraction away from my ears being ringing. You know, um, I've already had the surface drill about ten years ago in the ear. Like, but my eyes were just such a part point. I had actually had that, um, and I took more care of them than I would have. I had a conversation with Josh Enslin, who had the world record before. And he's an absolute lord, just this core surfer. He read, works for Red Bull in South Africa. And he reached out by message. He goes, oh, I don't know if you want to hear from me, but I just feel a bit of responsibility to um, let you know you've got you've, you've to look after your eyes, mate. And 
you've got to make sure you take care of yourself two, three months after and just, you know, the onset, the mental, all this stuff. He was such a... So he reached out, we had a conversation on the phone and I was like, and I was like oh, why are you so adamant about the goggles? He goes, oh, I wore them the whole time, you know, when I could, not in the dark and... And I said, your edits looked mad, you were ripping and everything was going. He goes, yeah, I didn't want to look like a kook, so I didn't put these edits in. That's why I wanted to reach out. And he sent me a few photos of him with just looking like me, like I did like a kook with all the zinc on and the hat and the goggles and everything like that. So he felt that responsibility, just a, another surfing brother, like a cool guy, just reaching out to make sure it was cool. He, I thought that was pretty, pretty good of the bloke and um, what, a, what a legend for doing it. So shout out to him, he's a legend. Amazing, jeez. And you must have got aqua turds down to a fine art too, I guess. Uh, How uh, many did you rip? No, nah, I, I actually, big fan of them, but I, I, I always said to myself, big part of it was making the surf as authentic as I could. And if I, the surf was pumping, I wasn't gonna, I'm not gonna do a shit at the alley in front of all the boys. I'm, I'm gonna go to the toilet and I'm gonna come in. Really? Yeah. So, I wouldn't. Yeah. In a steamer with its four foot, it'd become pretty unsafe too. If it was four foot and five foot, and I'm taking my wetty off. I'm gonna get tangled in my wetty. So That's logistically true. too. And so I went to the toilet three times. I think I ran up the toilet. So not even one aquaturd. Not even one. You no. disappoint me, Blake. <laughs> I was gonna say um, after going the third time, was there still corn in there, and how did it get in there? <laughs> Why is there always corn in there? <laughs> Fucking weird, mate. Um, <laughs> fuck. It, it, was there ever, in the entire experience of it, even the slightest moment where you went, fuck, I could be done here? No, not for, not for a fucking millisecond. Not even that. I'd, I, um, I, like I said, I feel so connected to this place. Um, I've visioned myself on that beach. I've, I've run past a lot. I surf there. I work there. Like, I'm there a lot. And the amount of times I just envisioned this just... Being a bit cocky, just envision this huge crowd, you know, everyone there, everyone on the beach, and just over-exaggerated that. And, and I thought about it so, so much that it became like a feeling. And as I was getting close to the world record, I'm like, I've been here before. I've, I've been in this moment before, you know. So I just learned to fully trust the process. And that was just the most amazing thing that no matter how sore my eyes were, no matter how much I wanted to punch Fletcher Haler in the head because he was telling me to eat more food. I, 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 just, I just trusted it, you know. I know that, that I could have easily went in and it was way harder than I thought it was going to be but I just knew that I'd had that moment before and I was, I was paddling with my eyes closed and opening my eyes and I just knew that that next little south chop would be a rip bowl that I'd do three cutties on and I just knew it was going to happen. I would just... I mean, paddling for a wave and missing a wave is no big deal. It's a part of surfing. But doing it 37 hours deep into a surf is a big fucking deal. And I'd paddle for a wave hard as I could and miss it. And it'd be, it's all good. Like, I knew that the next one would double up and I'd get it. And it, it just felt like I'd been there before. And it, it just it was, a, it was an amazing state, mental state that I was in. It was like anything negative that would come in, like the sleep deprivation thing, where I thought, fuck, I've been awake for 72 hours <laughs> and I'm still surfing. And, um, and ripping. I, um, I, it was just like a thought. I think it, a good way to describe it is I think it's what we all, what really good mental health would look like, you know, where the negative thoughts come in and they're just that. They're just a thought. It's not dwelled on. It's not ruminated on. It's just acknowledge that they're there. They're coming in and they're going to go. And we save the space for what's positive and good and where we see progress in our lives. So that's, um, that's you know, thanks to everyone to, like, it's, it's, it's been the biggest lesson I've ever had in my whole life and 
been through some hard things, but that, that's kind of the place I went to, to to prove to anyone that you can do it too, man. I'm no one special. You guys are fucking just as awesome, and you deserve to feel it too. It's so amazing, you. man. Fuck, you're a legend. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, and just, just being able to, to see those thoughts coming in. You're the man, Blake. You're the fucking man. Give it up for Blake, mate. Give it. Oh, man. It's unbelievable. Like, just, just being able to, to see those negative thoughts and, and observe them and watch them move on, man, that, that's like, that's, the, that's what you learn after, like, thousands of hours of meditation is that, you know, and, and that, that's the skill that's lacking in, in our culture and, and that's the skill that's so essential is, is to be able to let go, man, just let go well, and trust. It doesn't stop, you know, like, even last year, just stressed with the surf school, you know, La Nina, COVID was fine. La Nina sucked for the surf school. I've had an East Swell for two years. It fucking, it's really hard, you know, and, and I've got a beautiful job and I love my job. I love the people I work with, but I feel that sense of responsibility and that stress that it put on that, you know, that, the, that it'll come again, but I'm, I'm more ready for it each time I, I, I do this and why I do that hard stuff because I'm, I want to be tough. I want to show you two can get through it and you don't need to be Mick Fanning. You don't need to be legend Paul Gallant. You, you can do it. You can easily just... Know that you're worthy and, and, and it's, push through. It's funny that you pick out the two guys who, you know, have really fought hard to, to get to the same place that you got to. Really, really, you know, pushed against everything. Pushed against discomfort. Yeah. Pushed against pain to make it happen. Yeah. And I think um, one thing that's given me goosebumps is like, you know, Cronulla, you know, had a, a, a shameful chapter that made people feel quite detached from beach culture here for a while, despite all the legends, despite a, a fantastic history. And it feels to me, man, that you have shifted that narrative. Like you have brought pride back to this beach in a way that hasn't really been felt from the heart in a long time. I was talking to your brother about it before. And it, it is a sense of immense pride as a surfer when I was watching TV, you know, morning television, and there you are with the fucking entire hill lined of absolute frothing proud surfers and proud to be from this beach, proud to be from this shire. And I think you've, I think you've given everyone a gift, man. And I, I really, based on everything that's been said tonight, fuck, I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to be your mate. But more than anything, I'm just proud of the human and the example that you set for all generations to come because you are a fucking special man. And my only question that I've got left is um, on the T-shirt when you were in that day club in Berlin just fucking sending it. Like, what pingers were they? Were they fucking like Mitsubishis or like what was the go of those things? Yeah, white doves. Uh, I don't know. Because that looked like a good day out. <laughs> nah, man, you're an absolute king. Let's give it up for Blake, everyone. What a fucking champion. The world record holder. Longest session ever. Nah, I just say thank you, I guess, yeah. Standing ovation, why not? Can I say one more thing? Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make sure that um, I got to say this last part, but I... Um, 
You know, I, I, I was at my hometown, somewhere I grew up, somewhere I absolutely love. Um, I was with my best friends. I was with my beautiful family, my whole family. My, my four, four, all my four brothers hadn't been really in the one place since Dad passed away. Um, the, the surfing community, the broader Cronulla and Shire community, and I'd just done the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And um, not many people get to experience that, you know, so it's a big thank you to everyone. You're just as much a part of this and the vibe and the, and the message and the change we can make. And, um, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for the bottom of my heart. So thank you, everyone. On the count of three, we're going to scream up the Blakey. You ready? One, two, three. Up the Blakey! One more time for good luck. Everyone put their hand there. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for coming out. Hope you had a good time. Up the fucking swellings.